1: Empire.
0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Also check us out on YouTube. Go to Empire Media. A M P I R E. Give us a like, subscribe, leave a comment. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we discuss the commander's quarterback options both in the draft and free agency. Now, Washington could still trade for a quarterback, but I want to discuss with Logan some of the free agent options, options just in case because they, they're going to cost you less. Both in turn, There's no draft capital you have to give up, and the money, even for Trubisky, would probably be around $10 million or so. So there's, those are some of the bargain options, or at least lower cost options, I should say. We also talked about some linebackers and receivers in the draft, touching on some other positions as well. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson82. Go over there. He does some really good breakdowns. You'll enjoy. Before I get started, let's talk about Russell Wilson. Pull up a chair, get on your couch, whatever. Here we go couple things to unpack. This is what I know and have heard. Seattle's preference was to trade him to the AFC. That doesn't mean 100% lock, but it does mean that's where they wanted to send him. I know Pete Carroll said he didn't want to trade him, but that's not what I heard about others in the organization. That's why teams were calling. It's why he got traded. I do believe there are some in Seattle who felt his value would never be higher. And I'll say this, if you think he's going to age well for the next four to five years, Why trade him unless you feel he's outpacing his salary cap costs? Otherwise, you don't entertain such a move, in my opinion. It's hard to find quarterbacks at that level. So if you think he's going to stay at a certain level for the next several years, you don't move him. And that would have given me some pause had Washington traded for him. However, having said all that, I still felt like they should do so and that they certainly should try aggressively to do so because even though they may think He's starting to go down. You know, we don't know. And so was the last part of the year injury-related or a downturn? I don't know. I've always been a big fan of his as a player. So I, I definitely would have tried. But, again, it would give me pause that Seattle felt it was time to make the deal. I also don't think Seattle is done here. There's no way they can sell Drew Locke to the fan base as the guy. But as a bridge? Sure. Clearly, they must have liked him coming out of the 2019 draft. I also know this. For ESPN, we did a trade simulator. I actually was on ESPN+. Plus. I made an offer for Russell Wilson. Basically, the exercise was, here are seven quarterbacks available. You make an offer. Derek Carr was one. I actually ended up getting him. Um, but Russell Wilson was another that I made an offer for. Two ones and two twos. I made the best offer in our group, and it was eventually rejected. But from, all, from this exercise, what I knew is that Seattle did not view Taylor Heineke as a guy who could even be their bridge quarterback. I was told this week that Washington offered multiple first round picks in the next three drafts. So they offered three first round picks in, the, in this, the next year, and the next year after that. So three first round picks. It asked Seattle if it wanted a player thrown in as well. Seattle did not counter. Here's the other part. I don't know what Wilson wanted. I'm guessing if he really wanted to be here, he could have said no to Denver. So I think we do know what he kind of wanted. He wanted Denver. He does have a no trade clause. I do know that he had asked people um, at the Pro Bowl about Washington and that the word coming out of there was that he was at least receptive to it. He did not shut it off, but he was also going to ask other people about other places. So he did his due diligence. And if you have these two places, maybe he just said he wanted Denver. But I don't know. Denver has been tabbed by many as an attractive place. Defense has been good for a while. Heck, Von Miller might return there. And it has very good young receivers and an offensive minded head coach. So I don't know that it's as simple as Wilson didn't want to come here. I don't know that. I think there are multiple factors at play here. But if I hear more, I'll let you know. I know some on Twitter said, why would the Seahawks care about the NFC part if they're rebuilding? Well, here's the deal. They have a 70-year-old coach. He doesn't want to rebuild. I don't know that he would have stuck around for another year or two if they felt if he felt like all they're going to do is be rebuilding. My guess is they use some of this capital – on another quarterback. They have to. What if they go get Deshaun Watson? Now, I have no idea if that's in their plans or not, or if it's even possible for them. But there's still more to learn, to learn on Deshaun Watson. But if they do, let's say he's cleared of charges and the, char- the charges are dropped, then Seattle looks a lot different than it does now. It no longer is a rebuilding team. So yes, in that situation, they would not want to make another NFC team better because it would con- they would then become a competitor for a playoff spot. And Washington with Wilson would have been much, much better. And if you're Seattle and would prefer to draft somebody, well, maybe after the combine, they really became sold on Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. Well, Denver's ninth pick is a lot better than Washington's 11. It's only two spots. But you then removed a team in Denver that also might have picked a guy or drafted a guy. So even if they draft somebody and think they can contend for the playoffs another year, then you want Wilson out of the NFC. They had to make it a no-brainer to get him, to, to, to get Seattle to say, okay. And then Wilson would have had to have agreed. And if Wilson knew Denver was an option, maybe that's what he just wanted all along. This year's pick is huge because if you acquire Wilson for whatever team's going to get him, for if you're Seattle, you know that wherever you're trading Wilson, they're going to be better that year and probably a lot better. So you figure the following year in 2023, that in then maybe the next couple of years, you're picking in the 20s. That's why you had to take the best pick in this draft, if at all possible. And again, they got a quarterback that they at least feel is um, at a certain point. Again, I'm not a big Drew Locke fan, so I'm not going to go there. Anyway, I also don't trust if a coach wants to trade a guy in the division, Donovan McNabb should have been a red flag or even in the conference, unless you know a full out rebuild is underway and you have several years to go with a new coach but we're talking about a team that has contended for a while with this coach who is 70. And I got to keep saying that because I think it factors here as far as how Seattle would view or how he would view the situation um, and what else might happen. So we'll see. Also say here's the, here's an important point here too. Washington needs to prove it can win in order to attract high level players in a situation like this. We cannot deny that at all. In some ways, this setback forces them to keep building and strengthening the roster. They have to reevaluate why, why did it not work out? Was it as simple as they wanted them out of, the, out of the NFC and we didn't offer enough? Meaning we, that's their thinking, not what I say. I'm not a we, or is it, or is it really about the roster? What is it? But you have to keep strengthening the roster. I know they're still going to try and trade for others. I don't think they're done. They're certainly not done trying. But the caliber of quarterback goes way down, though Deshaun Watson remains on the table for them at the very least. I don't believe as of now that the Raiders will trade Derek Carr. So we're talking the next level, Jimmy G, maybe Carson Wentz, et cetera, et cetera. One funny thing is that Wentz or Jimmy G in this division becomes the second best quarterback in the NFC East. And again, on Watson, I think there's still so many hurdles to go there before we know not only if he, you know, what his legal situation would be, but if this team truly thinks that we'd go for him. But I will say it's still on the table. Anyway, if Washington can get a guy that helps them win, say 10 games each of the next two years, perhaps others view them differently and it makes them more attractive. Cincinnati, Buffalo, they're more attractive than they were a few years ago because they've got a quarterback who helped them win. Again, finding the quarterback's the key and they can get there without having to give up a lot they can get to that 10 win level without having to give a lot, so they can keep building with another quarterback. Then strike for another quarterback with, they hope, a stronger roster, much like what Kansas City did after it got Alex Smith. Maybe a year from now, they're in a different spot. Maybe Curtis Samuel has a strong year, Diami Brown emerges, et cetera. Maybe the D plays a lot better. I don't know if that's all going to happen, but what if it does? Now you're in a much better spot. You're more attractive. And this, all the ownership stuff will be behind it. The attention on it will be behind it from, from a national perspective. So you're in a better spot. I'm not trying to spin this. I'm just trying to analyze why it went wrong or how it went wrong. And if this can still, how this can still play out for Washington, of course it could go the other way as well. And, you know, Samuel doesn't do what he does. Brown doesn't emerge. And now you're still stuck be, being trying to build a place that's attractive for others to come. So that's also a possibility as well. Here's the hard part for, for you fans. How often are guys like Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson Wilson available? They've been out there each of the past two off seasons. Washington clearly has tried. Both, prefer, both went to other places for whatever reason. And I'm sure if you're Stafford, would you prefer the Rams or would you prefer Washington? Well, you're going to pick the Rams. It's not a big, I don't think that's a big, I don't think that would be a big secret there. But you have to analyze why, and again, keep building because you need to make it attractive to get players like that to come here. Maybe in both cases it was stacked against Washington for multiple reasons. I think the Rams clearly had an inside track on Stafford. I think that's where he was probably going to go. Maybe all along um, they made a strong offer too. But they and I don't and I would not have topped the Rams' offer for Stafford. That would not have worked here. Not to not for what they had to get would have had to have given up to top the Rams, but they need to make this a place where someone says they definitely want to be here. Now, on to some other tidbits as I've told you for a while, Washington would like to keep safety landing or land hybrid safety landing Collins, but at a reduced salary cap number. That's not a secret, been telling you that for a while. I think that will be challenging, not impossible, but difficult. Collins is a prideful player, it's why he didn't want anything to do with calling himself a linebacker at all, even if it was in a hybrid role. He wants to be known as a safety. That's important to him. And and for some guys, they don't want to take a pay cut and stay in the same place. They'd rather go somewhere else. That could definitely happen in this case. If Washington can find another linebacker who can play inside and who runs well, then with with Cole Holcomb and Jaden Davis on the outside, it might lessen the need for a lot of the three safety alignments. But if they had Collins, they'd still use it and they'd have a lot more versatility on defense because he was very good in that role. I can't imagine he makes a big chunk of change in the open market, but if I had to guess now, that's where I would see him going. That's just, that's an educated guess, but until he's, until, until he's still on this roster, so until he isn't, there's still a chance that it can work out. Heck, it could, it could also be that he, 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 cause that he sees this as his best option. Happened once with D'Angelo Hall. They cut him, he tested, he was on the market, he came back because it was still the best place for him. Or it could also be his agent knows the market and can tell him, hey, what they're offering here with this cut, it's gonna be more than what you're gonna get anywhere else. So stay tuned for that one. Now, as far as other possible moves in free agency, one thought, if they strike out, on, strike out in a big time quarterback or get one at a more affordable rate, and they can spend big for a free agent target. I know they they have about 33 million in cap space. I know they swung hard for receiver Mari Cooper a couple of years ago. I don't know if they'll go after him if he's free, as we all expect him to be now be free. But if they get a Mitch Trubisky or someone less costly, then hell yes, they can. They need to excite this fan base, and Cooper can still play. Of course, they can't trot out a low cost bet with the same skill group and tell fans why they should be excited. However, the last time they tried to get Cooper, they weren't in a position where they had to extend Terry McLaurin or pay and he's going to cost probably he'll be in that 18 million range. Or they didn't have to pay a defensive any of the defensive linemen, so it was a lot more palatable to go get a guy there and invest that much in that position. Personally, I like the draft because it's loaded at receiver, but I also understand the need to find someone who can play right now. Then you can let Deami Brown continue to develop. And in the draft, you can fill other holes or or just take the best players. Maybe you take an edge rusher in the middle rounds, as Logan talks about in a few minutes. Get a running back, more line depth and a starting guard. Maybe another interior D lineman. If you think you can't keep Deron Payne, then you have another replacement for him next year. So all these things are setbacks. They're not death sentences. This team keep building, start to win, change the narrative. But if you're going to get a second, and again, that's been hard to do here. We know that, but that's what they have to do. But if you're going to get a second-level quarterback at best, then you need more around him on offense, period. Anyway, that's it for me. I've talked too much. Logan Paulson was good, so I want to get to him, and I apologize for going a bit long. So after this break, I'll be back with Logan Paulson as he makes the case for Jameis Winston, and we discuss the details of the rookie quarterback's um, in this draft class. I admit some geekiness while watching Des Ritter. Find out why.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: Go to your happy place for Happy
1: price Go to your happy price price line Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strength for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare. They ship direct. And it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code KIME K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code KIME K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of our show.
0: Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Logan Paulson. All right, Logan. Well, back from the combine that you were at. I think you were there. What'd you say? You were there all week.
2: Yeah, all week. Okay, all week.
0: So you know, different or a new experience, I guess, for you being on this end. But I, you know, we're going to be talking about quarterbacks a lot because that's still the primary focus for this team. Um, but one thing I did want to start with because you had an interview with Ron Rivera, that a little sit down, one on one, about seven or eight minutes. And one of the things you talked about was the skill position groups and. Mm-hmm. You asked them, basically, you told them, you think that they should still be adding more. Convince me, basically, why I shouldn't feel that way or am I right or whatever. And I agree with you, I think, you, I think there's too many ifs in that group to, to just, yeah. it's a little bit of a leap of faith to think that they'll all be answered affirmatively or the question would be all answered in, in the positive for them. So I would, I would agree with you. What's your takeaway from what he said and do you think that that's a position they would address whether in free agency or mo- maybe more so in the draft.
2: Yeah. So I got the vibe that, you know, if someone that they really fell in love with was available at a spot they deemed kind of too good to pass up, they would take the shot. I think um, I came out of the conversation for, with, uh, with Ron thinking that they're very high on Diami at the moment. They really liked what he right. showed late in the year. And I think that's legitimate, but I don't, I, I would argue that did Diame show that he could be a true number two or even a number three consistently. And, He showed flashes, but again, like, if I'm trying to cultivate an NFL offense, I want a consistent player there. Obviously, he talked about Curtis Samuels and what they think he can do, and I think everyone is in agreement that he can be an electric player when he's healthy, but unfortunately, he wasn't healthy for an entire year, and obviously, you're you're banking on something that is, you know, a year to 18 months old at this point in terms of his production at Carolina, and I know you paid him a fair amount of money, but especially in this year's draft, like, there's obviously the top five receivers that you feel really good about. But then I think there's another five, maybe eight guys that change your receiver room, you know, and you can get them in the second, third, fourth round and feel really good about it. Like a guy that comes to mind is the kid from Cincinnati, Alec Pierce. Like no one's really talking about him and he's going to be like legit number two in this offense. Like he could be that kind of skill set. He adds a little bit of competition. He adds an element of physicality. He just makes the room better. And I think that should be the goal. Like, Um, we've talked about this before, but you want to, at the end of the day, be in a position where you have to cut good football players because you've increased your roster uh, so much. And I think that should be the goal with that room, especially given kind of the unproven commodities. But I I got the vibe from Ron that um, they feel really good about it. And unless something glaring happened in the draft or in free agency, they probably wouldn't make a move there. And again, like, I don't agree with that, but I also think it speaks to where Ron is at with the team. What I mean by that is, coaches tend to be a little bit more optimistic when it comes to players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I've told you this before. Also, you know, when I was a player, I always believed that the coach should have final say on personnel. And I remember having a conversation with Wes Phillips, who's now the OC for um, the Minnesota Vikings. And he was telling me, you know, coaches are just too close to that decision. They see the they, 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 they have a personal relationship with the player. They kind of see the, the glass half full type of thing. It's nice to have someone who doesn't know the player have input on the decision because they can be a little bit more objective. And so I think, I think it's good that Martin Mayhew's involved in these decisions now because maybe they can kind of steer the ship in a way and kind of reach a compromise on this. But I, I think if it was up to Ron, I think you just kind of ride with what they have in the receiver room at the moment.
0: And you're right. He is definitely, and he has admitted that that he is a glass half full guy, very optimistic by nature. Um, I think it's kind of, that's how he's been throughout his coaching career. So but I, I'm with you, I think, and I would look for one more so in the draft, because as you pointed out, it is a deep draft for receivers again. And I think for me, going against a free agent type, with there are a lot of financial decisions this team has to make. I'd rather, you know, would you want to invest in Amari Cooper, or do you, would you rather invest in the extension for Terry, plus some, you know, keeping more of those defensive linemen around, um, et cetera?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think this is why team building is so fun. I think um, obviously adding a piece like Amari Cooper and what he's done over the last you know, five years has been pretty outstanding. But the price point is the thing you're always negotiating. Like what is the value? And I think um, if I'm... Ron, if I'm the commander's organization, I'm gonna slow pay that. I'm always gonna look to build through the draft just because financially there's an incentive there, right? I can bring in a receiver, I can bring in a game changer at that position. You know, we mentioned Alex Pierce, but there's, you know, a guy like Watson out of North Dakota State University who's six four, he runs a four three. There's a guy out of middle Tennessee State who was uncoverable at the senior bowl, small guy, but uncoverable. Like there's skill sets. Kind of throughout and those guys will be there in the third round. So why not? Why not elevate your roster that way at a cheap price point? You don't have to break the bank on Amari Cooper, right? Especially if you're looking to make some splashes in terms of quarterback in the free agency market. Obviously I don't think that's going to happen just based on the current climate. But um yeah I'm a big build to the draft unless unless the value is there for a receiver in free agency. And what I mean by that is What is Mike Williams' value in free agency? Is he, you know, maybe a $10 million a year type guy? And then that would be a tremendous value. And you could bring him here and he would elevate this roster.
0: Right. And yeah, absolutely. How key do you think getting a quarterback is in here right away to help build out that roster, whether through some minor free agent signings or anything?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, I've done, I'm doing a quarterback evaluation um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for uh, 980 at the moment. And so I've watched all the kind of names in free agency. And, you know, a guy that really stuck out to me was Derek Carr. And Derek Carr was exceptional in Las Vegas, just in terms of his ability to like distribute the football and make clean decisions. His footwork's awesome. His release is awesome. But the problem with him is he probably wants $40 million plus, And I think with a guy like him, you run into kind of the Kirk Cousins conundrum, and what I mean by that is you get a guy who's good, he makes your team better, uh, you sign him to a big deal, and then all of a sudden the roster kind of degrades around him. So I think in terms of free agency, you got to kind of have that in mind. You know, I asked uh, Martin Mayhew about that when they signed Matt Stafford to Detroit, and whether that was whether that inhibited their ability to grow the roster around him. And he kind of played it tongue in cheek, but I got the impression that it did. And so I think that's in his mind. And I think that's something that always needs to be considered. So in in the context of the commanders, I would say, you know, and I've told you this before, go out and sign a Jameis Winston. Right. Trust your coaching staff. Yeah. Trust your coaching staff to kind of guide him. Like, you know, put those rails on him like they had in uh, New Orleans last year, because when you watch him play, he does some spectacular stuff with his eyes. He's got elite anticipation. He understands coverages he elevates a group of playmakers. If you look at that group of playmakers in New Orleans, it was not very good outside of Alvin Kamara, but he was able to throw those guys open, use his eye discipline to manipulate underneath coverage and make easy completions. Like he is a special player, minus the fact that he might screw around and throw 30 interceptions in a season. Get a guy like that. And then I would say draft a guy. And we've talked about this before, like because young quarterbacks are so cheap. Now let's say you miss this year. Go ahead and draft another one in 2023. Right. Like just right, keep definitely. going with it, making that decision over and over again and, and building. And I know that's not necessarily the most exciting things for a fan to hear, but that's how you find, that's how you find somebody is you keep taking shots at it. And I think when you kind of go for that big free agent signing, you limit your ability to take shots. And that's uh that's never good.
0: Sticking with that theme of, you know, like Jameis Winston. And I know last year he was free, they really didn't call him and I'm not confident that they're going to call him this time either. And I, it sounds like he would go back to the saints as well, Mm -hmm. but to that point, how much better of an option do you think he is than a Trubisky Mariota, Bridgewater?
2: Right. So to me, um, okay. So I think there's, there's two things to talk about here. One, I think because they saw him in Carolina, you know, Carolina plays in the same division as Tampa Bay and they got to see kind of the really downside of of Jameis they get to see kind of the plane crash that he can be at times right. um, but if you watch his film from last year he in my estimation is considerably better than any of the other quarterbacks you just mentioned like I just watched Mr. Uh, Trubisky last night watched three games from 2019 when he was the last time he started for the Bears before he got benched for Nick Foles and you just see a guy who has a hard time processing at a high level like when it's an easy throw like off of play action or rpo you see a quick release you see a strong arm you see a guy who has nfl quarter starting quarterback traits but in terms of processing what the offense is trying to do and how the defense is trying to stop them he seems to struggle in that area pretty significantly and um so if i had a pick i would say i'd rather the guy in Jameis winston who has the ability to um you know, elevate elevate a group, if that makes sense. In the same way, I'm not he's not Derek Carr because Derek Carr is much more fastidious with the football and is just much more efficient generally. But um, I think he kind of has some of those same traits that make you really, really excited. I think he has a tendency, Jameis Winston, to play too much hero ball. But if you can limit that a little bit, I think you get a really a starting caliber NFL quarterback. The problem with Mitch Trubisky, the problem with Mariota, the problem with some of those other guys you mentioned on that list is I don't think you get a starter in the NFL. I think you get a guy who's kind of a top end backup at the moment. Now, Mitch Trubisky might've done some growing and evolved. You know, I remember talking to Rex Grossman about how him sitting for a little bit gave him a new perspective, helped him speak, be, become a better student of the game and helped him be a better pro later in his career, he felt. Um, and that could have happened for Mitch this year. You know, you're sitting in an offense that's very quarterback friendly, behind one of the best in the game. Maybe you do a lot of growing in that type of timeframe, but just based on the film that he has shown the NFL, I don't see a guy that's going to make this bunch of playmakers better. I see a guy you have to <clears throat> kind of insulate in terms of uh, play calling. And I see the same thing with Marcus Mariota, to be quite frank, a guy who doesn't have the strongest arm, kind of an accurate, kind of like a, a slightly better version of Taylor Heineke. And so in, that, in, this, in this situation, if you're going to go in one of those guys' direction, obviously, Mitch Trubisky physically is better. But you have a guy in Heineke who's been in the offense for a year who knows it, and maybe that can be your bridge guy. You definitely need to do something at quarterback. I just don't think those two guys give you the upgrade that I think a lot of fans think that they do.
0: Yeah, and I think people will probably be very split on them. I think with Trubisky, and this is – I wanted to ask you this too, because what you'll hear is, one, Matt Nagy, his his offense didn't suit him well. And that he did – like for, and here's what – what what you hear like one they need to run more play action for him Two, the concepts the the what you'll hear from you know for people who prefer him that the concepts in Chicago left him made him kind of play more robotic and that like Mm. he didn't have the freedom to move off certain things based on a look whereas in Buffalo what they'll what what you'll hear is that in that offense, there's a little bit more freedom for the quarterback to get off a look and get to something you're more comfortable with right away. So, and I, you know, so, however, whether or not that's going to result in better play, it's what is going to be said to say this is why Team X wanted him.
2: Right. And I, so, again, I think he, he at, at times shows flashes. But if you're talking about running more play action, like the offense in Chicago – was built off of play action they were a run first run second type of team they got to play action when he needed it um he just in terms of drop back passing game again like i i grew up kind of in the west coast offense i played in the nfl for 10 years i've heard multiple installations of it and to me when i see some of the decisions he was making i was like I don't know how they're coaching it, but based on the offenses I've been in, like the ball should be probably going here. And that's that's the only thing I can just assume that it's approximately the same because the concept's approximately the same. And I just saw him holding the ball too long. I saw him waiting on guys coming open. you know, I think I I think when you watch Derek Carr, for example, he's the guy that understands versus cover three or Tampa two. um, I don't care what the concept is necessarily, but the ball is going to be hit to the check down. And his ability to just make that decision, Tom Brady does it excellently, Drew Brees does it, Peyton Manning when he was playing did that at a very high level, is just understanding the coverage and then based on that coverage where the ball is most likely to go. And then when it's time to make a play, you got to make a play and maybe you got to force the ball, but I just see him sitting on stuff kind of double clutching his feet are a little off you know his rhythms off in terms of his throw. And that to me is not those are not good signs because he, he doesn't trust the concept to come open the way it's supposed to come open. And uh, like he, like I was watching, um, I think it was the New York game, he threw an interception to a guy underneath. And you can tell the concept, it's a dig and a shallow cross underneath. And it's the shallow cross is supposed to pull the underneath coverage down to open up for the dig. And the dig opens up beautifully. And he throws it right to the defender who's jumping the shallow cross or so the underneath route. And to me, that again like I don't know what's happening in the install but based on just good offensive principle I would say the ball needs to go to the second level throw there and he just didn't see it he didn't anticipate it He didn't understand what the defense was trying to do and so those things to me obviously can be helped by coaching an offensive scheme but quite frankly like here we run a lot of dig concept deep daggers deep variations of that concept and so if you don't see that well I don't know how you would expect him to see that well here, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the when I when I've watched him, I've seen the and in fact, like I have talked to people, you know, whether it's close to him or or who who like him, and I've asked Mm. those same things that you see a guy like sometimes waiting to throw a guy, not throwing them open, but waiting till they're open to start then throwing. And what is that a sign of? Was that, you know, some people would say, well, that concepts, or is it just like you said, It's just, you're not either, you're not processing it the right way or whatever. And then I also saw some games where the mechanics were just off with the feet and that it was almost like, I always liken it to a shooter in basketball. You might be, and for people listening, Larry Hughes back in the day was a really good offensive scorer, not a great shooter, but could have really good shooting games when Mm -hmm. things were just clicking for him, but the mechanics made it inconsistent.
2: Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the things you see is obviously I mentioned his quick release. I mentioned his live arm. uh, But in the uh, Atlanta. Yeah, he's a good athlete in the Atlanta game, for example. They had schemed open a couple opportunities down the field. And, you know, he's got a big arm, but he missed three of them, like right. Not in succession, but on, on on repeating drives. Right. The following drive, it's a big play. Probably should be a touchdown. If not, it's a big chunk play kind of thing overthrow he threw a, a fade to the outside he's not throwing it like where it's missing in bounds he's throwing it into the white of the sideline which is a bad miss and he did that two times in a row again there's just a lot of inconsistencies there i i agree i think his footwork can be better you know and he also just his his pocket presence he's a little scatterbrained in there you know he's kind of he's leaning into pressure like there's a they run a play action where the offensive line's going right they have the tight end coming back blocking left and instead of kind of working to the right where the, where there's this nice pocket, he works straight back on his drop and really stresses the tight ends block. And you're kind of like, just, just, you know, if you just kind of work a couple degrees the other way, you have a nice fleshed out pocket and that could be coaching. I'm not saying that that's on him. Right. That could be how they're coaching it. But yeah, but I do think that there are like, when you watch the film, there's, and even you mentioned um, kind of like their quick game, you know, and like working a side of the field versus a certain coverage, I you see him screwing that up, at least the way I've been taught it a fair amount of times. And so you're kind of like, is he not seeing this? I know they're disguising the coverage, but good quarterbacks through film study and preparation, they develop tells and understand that this is how they run their cover three. This is how they run their fire zone. And when they run their fire zone, I prefer to work this side of the field. And so those types of things are inexperience based. And I think that can be helped through game study and they would be helped by this kind of year to himself. But again, I think there's a lot of things about his game that make you a little, a little nervous, you know. And and I don't see it as a huge upgrade over the current situation. Obviously, from a physical standpoint, like you mentioned, athletically, arm strength, release, yes, yes, yes. But quarterback is more complicated than that. And it's always you know, difficult. yeah. And like talking about the combine and seeing all these measurables from the quarterback, it's more complicated than that as well. So I think it's all it's important to keep that in mind when when talking about these players.
0: Right. And to me, if you if they if they went out and got a guy like that, then I'm still drafting a guy. And then I'm also going like, I'm not sitting here thinking, okay, problem solved. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm them, Hey, maybe one of these guys hits. And if not, we're back. And we're going to be as aggressive next year as we tried to be this year.
2: Yeah. I think that's the right way to go about it. I mean, and I don't know, coming out of the combine, I think um, it's, uh, it was actually a pretty positive experience for, I think most of the quarterbacks there Obviously, Kenny Pickett's hand was small, but he threw the ball really well in workouts. You know, his, co- his college tape is, is very, very good. You know, it's not I don't want to say it's exceptional, but in terms of like the processing elements of running a pro style offense, it's all there. He makes tight window throws. He doesn't do great against pressure, you know, all those things, but looked good. I think answered a lot of questions. Then Malik Willis, from what I understand, you know, did a great job in the interview process. And I think the thing you feel good about if you're this coaching staff is that his ceiling is astronomically high. Obviously, his floor is not, is you know, he's out of the league in two years kind of thing. But I think when coming out of this, he interviewed really well. He answered a lot of football-type questions really well. And so I think you feel better about those two guys when you're picking at 11, assuming that they're there. You know what I mean? And uh, that's a big assumption. Obviously, Carolina, you know, might be in the, in the market for a quarterback. But um, I saw um, a mock draft recently that said, you know, Malik Willis to the Commanders. And I think that that actually is a pretty good fit, especially if you get a guy like Trubisky to kind of helm the ship for a little bit and uh, let Malik grow uh, in, in the background.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think the feeling is by and talking to multiple people about him, because he's a guy that you have to do a lot of homework on, because yep. you know, as far as like a reporter, you, you know, they, they could still take him. And I think the scenario is with a veteran quarterback Um, and so because they also the feeling is by again multiple people it's going to take him a while Um, and that that's why you have to have him with the veteran it it always takes rookies there's always a a transition period for every rookie quarterback every rookie but for him it's always it sounds like it's going to be a lot longer and um, you know
2: that's what I thought going into this week and the you know the, the, the scuttlebutt coming out of the, the senior bowl was that he was having a hard time learning the offense. I guess one of his coaches spun up a rumor that he couldn't learn, kind of period. Um, and I think that was a big concern for a lot of coaching staffs. And I think in his interview process, I heard from multiple teams, not just, not anybody right. with the commander specifically, but multiple teams that he impressed them in interviews. Now, it's important that. to keep in mind that they're really coached up in these interviews. They, they go to these coaches that, prep them for you know the good plays the bad plays and everything in between but they said they were impressed with his attention to detail his demeanor in the room and uh, you know he did well in the wonderlick again that test is circulating now in the ether so you can get old wonderlicks and get the guys to take them but um, all those things kind of indicate that maybe he's um, maybe he's a better student of the game than people were led to think yeah and yeah. and I think that that's important to consider again there's always there's always issues with the with kind of saying, oh, he did well in this one interview. Let's let's ignore all this, all this other information. But it is another data point that kind of shapes your perspective.
0: And, and the thing I always heard with him, too, was, first of all, playing at Liberty, you're playing against lesser competition. Now you're also playing with that. You're playing, you know. So there's the adjustment there, and then there's the adjustment in the huddle and calling plays and do all that. Yeah. So there's a there's a wide range of adjustments that every quarterback has to go through. But I think there's a, there's probably more than because of the level of play, and then you know, and that's so we'll see. But I think yeah. that's where the scenario is for him. If you get that veteran guy, that that's where then then there's some like okay, maybe that's when you take him because if he hits, it could be really good for you. And if he doesn't, yeah. if he doesn't, then you know, try again next year. So
2: yeah, absolutely. I think that's the that's the that's the exciting thing about him. Mike, and I was thinking about this before we got on the call, but there is this kind of confirmation bias with players that gets you yes. more excited. You hear them, oh, oh, he's better in the interview than I thought. Oh, he's better on the one-like. And one of the reasons you feel that way about him is because he is he's dynamic, man. He is special. His arm, like watching him throw the football in person, you're just like, wow. That is a special trait. You know, watching him run on film, you're like, not many people in in the world can do what he's doing. So you kind of talk yourself into guys. It's the same thing with like Jordan Davis. Everyone's talking about his 40 and all the measurables that he had during the combine. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, maybe you can extrapolate to a better pass rusher. The problem is when you turn on the tape, there's all these issues that kind of right, tell you that right. that's not who he is, right? Despite this tremendous testing. So you always kind of got to walk that line because like with Malik, you see all this upside, 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 value, value, value. Um, but can he get there is the question. And that's the million dollar question. You ju- you mentioned some of the hurdles. And then that's why a guy like Kenny Pickett, I think is a little bit safer because you watch the film. It's not the best film of all time, but it's at least consistent. And he's doing NFL things. He's saying plays in the huddle and you say the, the leap to get from point A to point B is not quite as extreme with a guy like him.
0: And there's more games, again, higher level of competition. I think that matters here. So I think, but that's part of the intrigue with Malik because, you know, when you get him a certain level of coaching, when you, when he's, you know, facing getting different concepts, I think there's like, where does he go? So there's intrigue. Mm. The other guy that to me is kind of a mix of those two is Desmond Ritter. (laughs) and Because like he's got, he's got the experience. They've played, he played a higher level. That guy is athletic as heck too. And so I'm, I'm curious what you think of him.
2: Yeah. So Desmond Ritter is a guy that you want to like, you know, you, you go, I went to his presser. You get to hear him talk. He's got this deep voice. He's got this maturity about him. You know, people ask him about his inaccuracy when he plays. He's so that, that i'm seeing a specialist that happens when i overstride obviously he was coached up on that answer but he's just got the answers it's like a business interview it's like a debrief he just knows what to say and what to do i've heard from teams that interviewed him that he just kind of had this presence in the room that made you want to listen and you could see it you could see it at his presser right same type of thing obviously the physical measurables are outstanding you know like 40 5 10, 5 uh, broad jump vertical jump uh, a tremendous athlete obviously But then you got to turn on the tape. And that's the thing I think that is the biggest hiccup for him, because you see elite level arm strength, you see a nice release, it's a little awkward, a little low, gets a lot of balls batted down, especially in the uh, Alabama game. But um, I think the thing with him is that he does have this inconsistent accuracy issue and this poor decision making element. And he would like you to think that he can get out of that. And after hearing him talk, you're like, well, maybe you can fix it. But, uh, you know, I had a conversation with um, the pass, a passing game coordinator, and he said, the problem with a guy like him is he is perfect. He's got perfect mechanics. And so when he misses throws, you know that it's something outside of the mechanics. You know that it's probably not correctable. So that, is, that set off huge warning signs in my head because it's like that's exactly what he is. He doesn't have, you know, when you watch <clears throat> even a guy like Mitch Trubisky, his, his footwork gets all wonky, his platform gets weird. Malik Willis, same thing, weird platform. That's not how he is. That's his, his platform's usually pretty good. Now, he'd have you think that it is related to overstriding or whatever, and maybe it is. I'm not a quarterback expert. But again, when you watch his film, there's enough question marks. That's why the combine is so tricky. A lot of people say, oh, coming out of the combine, this guy's number one. But you have to marry that with what you see from the other, you know, out the, the 500 hours of tape that you have on the guy, the 500 hours of inter- interviews you've done. And I know that he's impressive, and I know that – Physically, from a leadership standpoint, he's impressive. But the film, to me, is the biggest question mark. And I hope it is something he can correct, correct, get corrected. But I also think he was thrown Alec Pierce, who's probably going to be a second or third round pick. The tight end there was going to be the number one tight end coming out this year. And he obviously got hurt, didn't come out. But he had weapons there that he was throwing to. And to see that kind of middling production in an offense that kind of guards a lot of his decisions, a lot of RPO, a lot of kind of zone R- read, R- to quick dump flat type throws. Um That is also a significant factor. So in terms of big-time NFL throws that he's making in each game, how many of them is he accurate on? How many of them are complete? And that percentage, at least to my observation, drops way, way down and is a reason that I think people aren't talking about him with those other two guys.
0: You know, it's funny with him because and this is how, like, you can appreciate this. So I was watching him this morning. So I watched a couple games, watched the Alabama game, and mm. I want to see, like, why is it? Why is he high on this throw? So you take, mm. I take a snapshot of when he's getting his release, just to see, like, the the base and the overstriding and all that. And I'm looking at, like, well, it kind of looks the same when he's doing this, but, <laughs> right? I mean, it's the, But the one thing I wonder is because he does have a longer stride and he does have a wind up. And, you know, if that doesn't disrupt some of the timing of your, when you're coming through with the ball. And again, this is getting a little bit geeky, but you know, I know Jordan Palmer is the guy that he works with and he's talked about that. I've seen him talk about that about Desmond and someday I hope to talk to Jordan about that mm-hmm. if it's, if he's in play, but just like, does the long delivery combined with the stride lead to a little hiccup sometimes in the timing of everything? And if not, then like, I'm like you, like, why was he high on this throw? because it looks yeah. like everything lines up right.
2: Yeah, and I think that's to me the million dollar question because when I'm watching it to my eye, it doesn't look like it. Now I, again, I'm not like Jordan Palmer is a quarterback expert, right? So I would defer to him. Now he is, you know Jordan and Ritter have like kind of a, a relationship that would be financially advantageous if Ritter were to go in the first round. So he's going to say and kind of coach in a way that lends itself to that relationship. Uh, but I do think that's something that every NFL organization is thinking about. Like when I talked to this passing game coordinator and that came up, like you could tell it was something that was weighing heavily on him because they like him in the meeting. You like him. You, you, he, Everything you physically, emotionally, he's mature. He's got a kid. He's married. All those things. Check, 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 check. A total contrast to a guy like Malik Willis, who's a little bit more casual, a little bit more laid back, right? You can tell this guy is a professional football player already. And you want to like that. You want to invest in that. But when the tape doesn't support it, you got to have that doubt in your mind and say, how long, you know, is how, how developmental is this? And can he get to where he goes now? He might go to his, his pro day and just crush it. And everyone says, oh, well, obviously that was a mistake. But I think that would be a mistake also. I think that film is so important to, to make sure you evaluate, because, again, that's what you have the most data points on is right, that film. Right.
0: Right, and and you know, and it's it's funny because with him too, I heard the same thing that you did about the interviews, and that he was really good at breaking down his plays. If they put a play up on tape, he could he was very good at methodical about breaking it down, which is always a good sign. Is there a quarterback that you like that we haven't talked about? Like for the draft, that's like, well, if they can get this guy, and this let's say let's say they get a guy, like let's say they sign they get a free agent, um, and they they go someone they take a different spot at eleven. And they go. They want to get a quarterback, second or third round. Who would? Who's yeah. your guy in that area?
2: I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think the guy that kind of stood out to me, based on the, the bowl game appearances, was the kid from Notre Dame. Um, I think he just had of all the quarterbacks involved in a in a senior bowl. So I think it was the Shrine Game where he was at. Um, I, I forget his name, but he looked he looked kind of the most ready. His interview was really good at the at the um, at the combine. But again, I think I worry about his overall talent and whether it translates. So I think people, you know, are talking about Matt Carell. Matt Corral makes me tremendously nervous because they run so much RPO in that system. He's not making full field reads all the time. And when he does make full field reads, it looks a little bit clunky and bulky and awkward for him. He's got a great release. He's got a good arm strength. He's a good athlete. But again, like the ability to process is not there. And I think that's one of the reasons why all these guys have a lot of question marks around them is just – you worry about some of these football elements, right? Because I, th- from what I understand, like, he, I was impressed with him in his interview. Sam Howell is another guy that people talk about all the time. And, you know, they talk about him losing all this offensive production. But I think, you know, he gets a lot of comparisons to Baker Mayfield. It's because they look physically similar on film. <laughs> but, but also, I, so I think that kind of hurts him because of Baker Mayfield's trajectory in the NFL. Also, I think that um, Mitch Trubisky's kind of floundering shows what a quarterback – transitioning from that offense to the NFL would go through so all those guys man I don't know if I feel great about any single one of them I think uh, from a leadership standpoint Sam Howe seems to be from what I've heard coming out of the senior bowl from what I've heard from uh, his college coaches seems to be the right guy from a leadership standpoint again very deliberate arm mechanic in terms of throwing the football kind of all over the place plays a little bit of hero ball at times again that's probably a result of all of his receivers getting drafted last year, all of his running backs getting drafted last year. Um, but again, I don't, I don't love any of, them. you know, I don't, outside of those top two guys, I wouldn't stand on the table for any single one of them. Um, and obviously if one's in the third round, Carroll or Howell, they won't be, but if they were, that maybe would be a good opportunity to, to take a value pick sure. there, but there's yeah, reasons. I that, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't think, I don't think they'd be there. I think it was a Jack Cohn that you're trying to think of from Notre Dame. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. There you go.
0: So, and then last thing, and I always appreciate your time. What's the one spot that you <laughs> like that we haven't talked about. You say, I hope they address this, whether free agency draft, whatever.
2: Uh, I think everyone talks about linebacker quite a bit, and I'm not totally sold on the need to address that right now. And, and the reason I say that is because I do think there is some growing that's going to happen with all those young guys, Holcomb and Jamin and, I think if they get a veteran guy in here to play a little bit more and give him a mentorship role, I think that would be outstanding. I think there's – the other thing that's great to know is there's a very deep linebacker draft this year. Um, you know, the kid uh, Muma out of Wyoming
0: Chad Muma.
2: gets – like I haven't really watched a ton of him, but everyone I talked to was like, oh, he's the next Sean Lee. He looks like Sean Lee. He plays like Sean Lee. And when you make that type of comparison, especially given the history – of recent history of Wyoming linebackers, you say to yourself, "This guy's going to be tremendous value." And the crazy thing is, he might be there in the second or third round, which is great value, and it would elevate the linebacker room. So I don't think you need to go out and say we need to target Nakobe Dean or Lloyd from Utah to make this group better because this is a deep, tr- deep draft class at the position. I mean, another guy that really stands out just because we're talking draft is um, the kid from Montana State. Troy His name is Troy Anderson. At the go. senior bowl, everybody was there to watch Muma, but they came out talking about Anderson. He runs. He's physical. He understands how to fit on run plays in a nice way. He can coverage. He, he can cover. I mean, he played quarterback right. at Montana State. He played tight end. He played receiver. He played running back. The guy is just a really big, freaky athlete. I got a kind of funny story. So when I was in the medical, like a medical hallway, I was just standing out in front uh, waiting for an interview. And this guy walked by and it was Troy Anderson. And I was like, you know, he was so big and so physical. And I thought, Oh, I thought D Lyman were going tomorrow, you know? And then I looked him up and obviously it's Troy Anderson, but that's the kind of physical freak yeah. that he is. And he he might be around in the third round. So again, like there's opportunities to fill that. I think a, a spot that I would look at, just because of the way this draft is composed at the moment is edge rusher. They have some really dynamic twitched up guys that would be a nice rotational piece of ed rusher like you can get a guy all the way into the fourth round who right. shows tremendous twitch tremendous athleticism and if you and the reason i say that people are like oh look at all this this draft capital we've invested along the defensive line and i would agree with you but if you look at elite defensive lines they have like almost like a hockey style rotation right they have four guys that come in spell the first four guys come back out and having some depth there, I think, just makes Chase and Montez more effective on, in pass rushing situations if they need to be. And just having another person who can rush the passer is never a bad thing. And especially with this draft, draft being so dense in that category, I think that's always important to consider. Well,
0: listen, I think two things you can never have enough of on defense is edge rushers and cornerbacks. And yes.
2: I would I would
0: always if you have a chance to add somebody there, it could be really good. Because I think as we saw last year, you can't count on those two guys to do everything or to right. be there all year. You don't know. And when you look at the finances of it, are they going to have to make a decision with these two guys with sweat and young in coming years? So if you can get someone else in there, I think you want to always build depth there. So even if it's beyond, there are a couple of guys even beyond the fourth round that could be interesting at that spot. Yep. Um, yep. At 11, would you, what about, like what about corner?
2: Would you, yeah. Would you, I mean, there's, there's some really good corners. I mean, uh, I think that's the corner to me, me personally, is the hardest position to evaluate. It's corners and safeties because they're not around the ball that much. So to get a good evaluation on a corner, like all linemen, you might be able to watch two games. And with a corner, it's like eight games because you have to watch all the targets they get in those eight games. And you just they're not involved in the down-to-down football the same way. But I do think it's a very dense quarter cornerback class. Like I look at um, the way those corners ran. That the big kid who ran the four two eight uh from the small school, like he'll be around in the second round and you can make a pick there. So I I don't think you need to reach for corner in the first round. I think what, if anything, at 11, it's to me and my from my perspective as of today, which is still pretty early in the offseason, it's it's quarterback, linebacker and Maybe offensive lineman, you know, maybe like guard. There's some really good guards. A kid from yeah. A&M is really good. Yeah. And um, and so that would be something to look at there. But again, the, the crazy thing is even offensive lineman sounds like a crazy thing to say because it's so deep. There's a guy, you know, from North Dakota who's 6'8, 315 pounds, who ran a sub 540. He's got 36 inch arms and tested and won almost every like movement drill on the field. And he's going to be around in the third round and he can play in the NFL. I think about that. You're getting an NFL starter in the third round. Like this draft is so funny because the top end is just OK. Like if if, if, it, if it was my perfect situation and they didn't need a quarterback, I would trade out of 11 and just 100%. pick up stuff and pick up that stuff in the middle, because this draft between two and six is like unlike any draft I've ever seen before. There's just ball player after ball player after ball player. So like that's where you're going to get the meat of this. Right. So that's why I keep saying trade out of that first round pick get some stuff there in the second, in the, in the second half of that draft and you, you're going to be a happy camper. I think,
0: you know, it's funny, Logan, that you said, because last year my thought was because of all the guys, there were going to be a lot of guys who would be 6th year players in college or, or they all came back because the COVID year that I would have tried to get more capital in this draft because you knew the yeah. depth would be there. And if, if it could have been used to move up for a quarterback or just to have more picks in a deeper draft in those rounds. So I'm with you. Like if you don't, if they get a guy via trade, whether it's, you know, car or, or whomever,
2: yeah. then
0: I would say, okay, then you can if you can if Malik Willis is sitting there and you already got your guy, try to trade back. Even if it's yeah. for even if it's for an extra second and you get another second. I think in this draft, that would be valuable. So last very last thing, I apologize, Deshaun Watson, would you do it?
2: Oh my gosh. I I think we've talked about this before. Like I, okay. So it's important to separate Deshaun Watson, the football player from Deshaun Watson the and his legal stuff at the moment. I think that's that's critical because they're different things at the time. So I'm going to speak to what I know about Deshaun Watson as a football player. Obviously i played in Houston for half of a season, and I cannot say enough positive things about Deshaun Watson during my time in that nine, nine week period. He's a great leader. Guys respect him. He studies hard. He's charismatic. He's, he's confident while not being, uh, you know, like crass or overbearing about it. Physically, he's got all the tools that offense down there is very hard to learn. He did an outstanding job. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate trading first round draft capital. I hate it, but I would consider giving up what they're asking for, for him because of his ability and because of what he does. Like that's how highly I think of him as a football player. Obviously, the legal issues right. have not resolved themselves. Um, and I think that adds an element of risk that I'm not quite ready for because it's already a risk gathering thing. You basically are saying, you know, we're not going to have a first round pick. We're not going to have a blue chipper for three years for him. And I think that's probably warranted because of his age, because of his ability. But um, but again, the, the, the legal stuff associated with that is is not appropriate for me. And I wouldn't do it because of that that would need to be resolved for me to do that.
0: Logan, you're the best and I've kept you way too long and I apologize, but I always appreciate your insight. And I know people do listening. I could go on forever with you, but I think you don't have that kind of time. So thank you very much. Oh, and by the way, tell people where they can, I've already said it before they got on here, but if they're just listening to this, where can they find you on Instagram?
2: Yeah, uh, Logan underscore Paulson 82, a lot of Instagram stuff there. And then obviously I do some stuff with um, the commanders media and have some nice stuff there too. So make sure you check that out.
0: There you go. Thanks, Logan.
2: Appreciate it, John. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Friday. Talk to you next time.